This Janet Mefford Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it. And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Let's start out this show with a very important Bible verse from Jeremiah 23:30. Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who steal my words from one another. That's pretty appropriate, isn't it? Given what we've now discovered about the sermons of J.D. Greer and Ed Litton, J.D. Greer being the former immediate past president of the Southern Baptist Convention and Ed Litton being his successor. Now we have a plagiarism scandal. Boy, I didn't expect to be covering another plagiarism scandal so soon. It's been only, what, eight years since my last plagiarism scandal? Not my plagiarism scandal, but being involved in exposing the plagiarism scandal of Mark Driscoll. And now here we are again. It's just absolutely staggering. So let me bring you up to speed on what's been going on. It's kind of interesting to tell you the truth because Ed Litton was barely the new president of the SBC before you had this scandal emerge. And I'm going to call it a scandal because I believe it is one where he had had a messenger go up to the mic at the Southern Baptist Convention and say to Dr. Albert Moeller, hey, listen, Ed Litton graduated from your seminary do you teach at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary that God is three parts? Because that's what the doctrinal statement says on Ed Litton's church's website. And as we discussed just several days ago, Dr. Moeller said, oh, I'm sure he's a faithful guy. And then right after that, Ed Litton walked up to the mic, didn't say a word about it, didn't repudiate the messenger or correct the messenger or reassure the congregation, if you want to call it that, at the SBC, that yes, in fact, he is Trinitarian. He didn't say any of those things. He got up and he basically slobbered all over Al Mohler and told Al Mohler what a great guy he is. And Al Mohler responded in kind. So it was a wonderful little bait and switch and red herring. Oh, look over here. Look over here. You know, squirrel, look over here. Let's talk about how wonderful we all are. Let's not talk about what that messenger just brought up. And then before too much time had passed, the church updated the website. And all of a sudden, the line in the doctrinal statement about God being three parts, poof, gone. No discussion. Ed Litton never mentioned it. None of that. So people were saying, well, hey, hey, wait a minute. He had a heretical statement about God on his website. Can we talk about this? Oh, he was just being theologically sloppy. Wait a minute. You just said that he's got a doctoral degree from Southern Seminary. How is he sloppy? That's not really a hard doctrine, the triune nature of God and orthodox views of the Trinity. That's not really a new thing that we're bandying about here. All Christians who are faithful to Scripture understand the doctrine of the Trinity well without being theologically trained or professionally trained as pastors, this isn't hard. It's just swept under the rug, swept under the rug. Now, I want to add a little caveat here because when I was at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention last week, I had a long discussion with the media relations representative for the Southern Baptist Convention. We talked for quite a while and I said, what in the world went on with Ed Litton? Because that was swept under the rug. He didn't say one thing about why that was changed or why it was there in the first place. It was just not discussed. And all his friends jumped on social media and tried to act like anybody who had a problem with heresy on Ed Linton's website was making a mountain out of a molehill. 
So he came back to me and he said, I spoke to Ed Litton. And what he said to me was that the reason it said God is three parts on his website was because they wanted to make a theologically simple statement on the website that would be palatable to people who didn't know much about theology. I said, what? You put heresy on your website to make it simple? I said, saying God is three parts is not a simple statement. What are you talking? I'm like, what? He said, well, that's what Ed Litton told me. It was meant as a simple statement for people who don't know much about theology. I said, that's ridiculous. I just said it to his face. I said, that's ridiculous. And then I said, did he know about this church doctrinal statement up on his website? Nope, he didn't know about it. That's what the media relations representatives told me. Ed Litton didn't know anything about it. I'm sorry, folks, but, you know, I wasn't born yesterday. I don't believe that. I'm not, you know, and I know it's not a nice thing in Christian circles to imply that somebody's not telling the truth, but I'm going to just say flat out, I don't believe it. I don't believe it at all. Every SBC pastor I talked to in the last week, I said, would you ever have a doctrinal statement on your website that you had not reviewed as the pastor? And they said, of course not. Okay, so this is the background to all of this. Now we've got this new scandal. What happened was J.D. Greer, the immediate past president of the SBC, did a sermon in January of 2019 on Romans 1. And then in January 2020, Ed Litton also did a sermon series on Romans, and in particular, a sermon on Romans 1, the same passage that Greer had done the year before. Now, I'm going to play for you in just a minute a great compilation of side-by-side audio clips of Greer and Lytton basically saying exactly the same stuff. And I'm going to get into that in just a minute. But what I find very interesting and very telling are are the statements from Ed Lytton and from J.D. Greer. Now, let's look at this for a moment before I get into all of this audio. Ed Linton said there were questions that arose about the sermon that he delivered on Romans 1, addressing the sin of homosexuality. There were concerns about similarities with a sermon delivered by J.D. Greer a year earlier. He said, like thousands of other Southern Baptist pastors, I labor every week preparing to stand in front of the congregation God has called me to serve. I use several resources to help me think it through. Now listen to this. He said, we employ a preaching team approach at Redemption Church, his church, that is comprised of eight men from our staff congregation who meet weekly weekly to discuss study insights, outlines, and approaches to the text. Preaching team approach. So he doesn't even apparently sit down and study the word of God and write his own sermons. It's a team approach. I got a problem with that right there. But anyway, he goes on. This sermon prep process includes working in the languages, consulting commentaries and books, and listening to strong communicators. In that process, I learned about my friend J.D. Greer's messages on Romans and discovered what he had recently preached resonated with the direction God was leading me in our preaching team, etc. And he said, I found Greer's message on Romans 1 was insightful. And with his permission, I borrowed some of his insights and the three closing points. He borrowed it. Here's the problem. He never said he got any of it from J.D. Greer. There was an astute listener, uh, a man on Twitter by the name of Gabriel Hughes said it was someone he had interacted with. We're not sure who actually made this video. There's no name on it. But this person did a great job of compiling what you can hear. Now, I'm going to get back to what 
Greer actually said in his statement, it's it's outrageous. These people all think we're dumb. They think we're dumb. Let's go first to this compilation. Here's J.D. Greer preaching his sermon on Romans 1 in January 2019. And then you're going to hear Ed Litton right after that saying the same things in his sermon a year later. Listen for yourself to this. This is cut one. We'll give you a warning here that this might be the toughest week that we will have in the book of Romans. Romans 1, the end of it is tied in difficulty only with Romans 5, Romans 9, and Romans 11. This may be one of the toughest passages we face in the book of Romans. This is the steep climb I talked about. So in fact, let's just sort of loosen things up right now. Everybody turn right now to your neighbor, look them in the eyes. If you know them, if you know them, put your hand on their shoulder and say, this is going to be a really tough week for you, okay? And tell them, say, I'm praying for you to have the faith and humility to receive this word. I want you to turn to your neighbor right now. And I I want you to say, I know this sermon is going to be really tough for you, but I'm here praying that you will listen and obey whatever God says. Go ahead, do that right now. But y'all, we believe that God's word is good. Do we not? You see, we believe that God's word is good. Okay. You heard in three instances there, side by side, J.D. Greer not interpreting the Bible, not preaching on the passage and Lytton copying what he said. Those were just comments that Greer made that Lytton stole. He wasn't interpreting scripture and Lytton was making the exact same point. Well, what this verse actually means is dot, dot, dot. They're both talking about a tough week. This is going to be the toughest week and turn to your neighbor and say, this is going to be a really tough week. And that's not copying somebody's Bible interpretation or insights on the scriptures, that's somebody who can't even think of his own banter in between the sermon passages. Think about this. How low do you go when you actually have to pick up the guy's jokes and you have to pick up the guy's banter because you can't come up with something yourself? This is the president of the SBC and it's going to get worse. There's a lot to tell you about. I hope you'll stay tuned. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. We'll be coming right back after this. Hi, this is Janet Mefford. Did you miss the deadline to sign up for a healthcare program at the end of 2020? If so, I have good news. A special enrollment period is taking place now through August 15th, meaning that if you're looking to enroll in a new healthcare program for 2021, you can do so without the need for a qualifying event. More than 200,000 Americans trust Liberty HealthShare for their healthcare needs. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that offers affordable healthcare sharing programs starting as low as $199 per month. Liberty HealthShare gives you the ability to choose any doctor or hospital across the nation. Memberships are for individuals, couples, and families, offering a variety of options to best suit your medical needs. Discover more about the power of sharing at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT today. For more information, call 855-585-4237, 855-585-4237, or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. When Julia ended a bad relationship, she found out she was pregnant. After the father told her to get an abortion, this mom was confused and didn't know what to do or who to talk to. I just knew that if I got an abortion, a part of me would be broken. 
Julia was referred to a preborn center where she was counseled and supported with the strength that she needed to choose life. I couldn't imagine my life without him. Because of them, he's here. We're going to get through it and it's going to be okay. Preborn centers provide hope, love, free ultrasounds, and the gospel of Jesus Christ to moms like Julia. Preborn truly is the alternative to Planned Parenthood. Will you join Preborn in helping love and support young moms in crisis? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds and help rescue five babies' lives. To donate, call now, 855-402-BABY, 855-402-2229, 855-402-2229, or there's a Preborn banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Wow, we have some very interesting times that we're living through right now. We just had the SBC 21 take place within the last couple of weeks. A new president was elected, Ed Litton. Ed Litton, who was already under fire from Bible-believing Christians for a number of his doctrinal positions, including women preaching in violation of the Baptist faith and message. Then we had the heresy on his website that was quickly taken down, and there was a I'm sorry, but I I look at that as a cover up and there was no explanation and everybody else just was telling us to move on. He was just a little theologically sloppy. And I guess you're not supposed to notice or comment on the fact that if you have a doctoral degree from Southern Seminary, theologically sloppy is not a logical explanation for espousing heresy on your website. And why did he go behind everybody's back and change it and have no comment on it? You know, Nobody is that dumb. Well, actually, there are people probably who are so determined to give the benefit of the doubt that they don't see what's screaming right in front of them. And now we have a plagiarism scandal on top of it all. So we have these clips from this video put together by someone whose name I don't know, but Gabriel Hughes on Twitter had referenced this was someone who got in touch with him. You can go on YouTube and watch it for yourself. I'm playing these excerpts and you can decide for yourself whether or not, not just one of these men, Ed Litton, who plagiarized Greer's sermon, has to resign. But if Greer has to resign, and I'm going to get into that in just a moment, let's get into more of this audio. This is, again, a compilation pitting Greer and what he said in his January 2019 sermon on Romans. And then you're going to listen to Ed Litton saying basically the same stuff in his sermon a year later. Here they both tell a story about temples to false gods in Asia and, and this is an interesting one. I'll tell you on the flip side what happened here. But first, listen to cut two. In some of my travels overseas, I'll, I'll go into these temples that are erected to a foreign god. I remember being in one of them um, a, a while ago over in uh, somewhere um, uh, in Asia. And Paul David Tripp is a favorite pastor of mine to read. He's a pastor in Philadelphia. Uh, he was on a mission trip to Nepal. And he went, he was taken by a missionary into a temple. And there was, uh, I go in this temple, it's this gigantic, I mean, beautiful temple. And right in the middle of it is a, about a 25 foot statue of a, a goddess who has multiple breasts and, and multiple arms. And, you- and he said, and I, I will not go into details, but he does explain it, that there was an idol in the center of this temple. He said it was one of the most grotesque things he's ever seen. Watch these worshipers come in and they would prostrate themselves before this statue. And many of them were very emotional. Many had traveled a lot of miles to get uh, to this. Um, very poor, some of them, and taking the little money they had and pouring it out and offering before this statue of this God. And but what really turned his stomach wasn't the shape of the idol. It was how people were bowing down to it, kissing it, putting money on it. He met a family that had walked for four months 
months to get to this idol. Later, finding myself just going back over that incident in my mind and, and feeling sorry for the people there and thanking God kind of in my heart that I wasn't, I wasn't like them. But he walked out of that temple saying, thank God I'm not like them. Then in the middle of that thought, it just occurred to me. I had a whole list of things in my heart that have taken God's place, just like that statue had. When the spirit of God said, Paul, you are exactly like them. Okay, a couple of things that I need to point out. First of all, when Ed Litton references Paul David Tripp's account of this story, this is a story from Paul David Tripp. It's from the January 22nd entry in his book. He did a devotional. I found it, by the way. And Ed Litton says something about people traveling for four months to get to the temple. That's not in this account. I'm reading the exact excerpt that Ed Litton referenced, and there's nothing in this about people traveling for four months to get there. Okay, maybe that's just a mistake, but I'm pointing out it's not true. That's not what Paul David Tripp said. I've read through the whole thing. It's very short. He didn't say anything about people traveling for four months to get to the idol. But it's worse than that because J.D. Greer told the story as if it happened to him, and he never mentioned Paul David Tripp. It was Ed Litton who at least gave credit to Paul David Tripp. And in J.D. Greer's explanation of why he did that, he basically said, well, you know, I visited pagan temples in Asia, and the story was inspired by a similar one I read from Paul Tripp. I'd had the same experience. He said, I felt no hesitation in changing the details of the story to match my own experience or no need to cite Paul Tripp as the source as the events as I tell them actually happened to me and are common among missionaries. Okay, that's weird though because he had the exact same response as Tripp because in Tripp's account, His response was, I am like those people. All right, you heard J.D. Greer and Ed Litton both saying the response was, oh, I'm glad I'm not like them. Oh, wait a minute, I am like them. So we're supposed to believe that J.D. Greer had the exact same experience and the exact same reaction with the exact same sentence as Paul David Tripp, but it's not Paul David Tripp's unique experience. It was Greer's. And Greer didn't do anything wrong by not citing Paul David Tripp. I contend, of course, he did something wrong. He knew it was Paul David Tripp's story. He told it as Paul David Tripp told it. And he didn't cite Paul David Tripp. He's as bad in my mind as Lytton is for different reasons. Do you see the deception here? It's incredible to me. Now, again, Greer and Lytton say the same stuff in their sermons about this portion of the sermon on the earth, the sun, the solar system. Listen to cut three. I I compared it to if the earth were to say to the sun, I am sick and tired of you being in the middle of the solar system. If the earth were to ask the sun in our solar system, I'm sick and tired of floating out here in nothingness, surrounding you constantly. I want to be the center of this solar system. The sun might just say to the earth, all right, have it your way. The earth is 30,000 times smaller than the sun and would not have the ability to keep all the planets in orbit. And so the solar system would begin to unravel simply because the sun gave to the earth what it asked for. Folks, our entire solar system would fall apart. Why? Because the earth doesn't have the power of light and it doesn't have the power of gravitational force to hold this solar system in existence. Fantastic. Why did you have to lift that from J.D. Greer? Why was that an important thing to pick apart? You know, it's just, these two are incredible. They even make the same points. Listen to cut four. Sexual disorder, that was the first thing, verses 26 and 27. Now we've got economic disorder. There's economic disorder. Look at verse 29. Social disorder. He says there's social disorder. Social disorder. Just think Facebook. Uh, and that's just on Facebook. Uh, then you got spiritual disorder. There's spiritual disorder. They are, you could think of that as family disorder. You got, 
And there's family disorder. They disobey their parents. Now, here's what I find interesting. When Ed Litton apologizes and acknowledges that he lifted material from J.D. Greer's sermon when he was exposed, he had the wherewithal, according to his account of all of this, to go to J.D. Greer and to ask for his permission to use it. Now, if you go to somebody and you ask the person for permission to use their material, that is an ethical thing to do. So why is it that he did the ethical thing in getting Greer's permission in advance, but when he actually delivered the sermon, he couldn't be bothered to mention Greer to the people? That, to me, smells bad. That's another thing that smells bad to me because it makes me wonder at what point in time did Greer and Lytton really discuss the sermon and the fact that Lytton was picking up a good portion of Greer's sermon and passing it off as his own sermon. Again, I, I know I'm sounding cynical here, but I've seen this movie before, you guys. I've seen this movie before, been down this road a long time ago with the Mark Driscoll thing. I've seen this movie and I am skeptical. I'm skeptical because I don't believe some of this. Now, I may be wrong, and I am willing to be proven wrong, but thus far I have not been proven wrong. I just have what I can regard as longstanding reporter's instincts, having been a reporter. And when something smells bad, you keep digging. If, does, if something doesn't seem to add up, there's a reason. One more cut here. This is where we have not just plagiarism, but really bad theology from both of these guys. Listen to cut five. The gospel message is not let the gay become straight. The gospel message is let the dead become alive. And the gospel message is not let the gay get straight. The gospel message is let the dead come to life. Which leads me to the second way that I see us going wrong here. Number two, we think it's the worst sin. Here's the second thing I think we do, we go wrong at, and that is thinking homosexuality is the worst of all sins. Jen Wilkin, who's one of our favorite Bible teachers here and who's actually leading our women's conference she said, she said, we ought to whisper about what the Bible whispers about, and we ought to shout about what it shouts about. And the Bible appears more to whisper when it comes to sexual sin compared to its shouts about materialism and religious pride. In the Bible, sexual sin is whispered compared to the shout God makes about greed and judgmentalism. Yeah, that's Sodom and Gomorrah. That was a real whisper. That was a real whisper. When Leviticus gets into all the gross sexual sins that it describes and all of the punishments that God outlines for sexual sin of a disordered nature, that's a real whisper, right? Wrong, wrong. And it's, it, it goes against all common sense to try to say there's no such thing as a worse sin. Of course, there's such thing as a worse sin. If you tell a white lie to somebody that, yes, your dress is pretty, that's not equivalent to murder, is it? And our laws recognize that some things are more egregious in nature in terms of your sin, although we don't call it sin in the civil context, we call it a crime. There are worse crimes. There are worse. Of course there are. The point is, no matter what your sin, you can be forgiven by repenting of your sin and turning to Jesus Christ because his blood covers sins of all types and all egregious sin is equally covered by the blood of Jesus Christ and his triumph over sin and death on the cross through his resurrection from the dead. We all believe that. But when you say oh, oh, the gospel is not let the gays get straight, but let the dead come to life, that's a nice little line, except that's ridiculous because you are born heterosexual, 
We don't even need to have a word for it. Biologically, we are created to be heterosexual. It's just the normal state of affairs. And when we talk about homosexuality or other types of deviant sexual behavior, that's the deviation from the normal. So nobody is saying that. But, you know, how offended would my friends who are from the ex-gay community feel at being told that you can't be straight? That's not good news. Uh, I have a lot of people I know personally who would argue with you that one of the greatest things God did for them was turn them around so they were able to eventually get married and have a family, which is the normal state of affairs. There's a lot more to come. Stay with us. We'll be back right after this. This Janet Mefford Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Well, we've got another plagiarism scandal, as we've been discussing, this time between the immediate past president of the Southern Baptist Convention, who was plagiarized by the current president of the Southern Baptist Convention. But it appears that in the course of this exchange or behind-the-scenes agreement that Lytton could lift all the material without ever mentioning Greer's name once to his congregation, that, in fact, you go back and you see that Greer quoted people without attribution in his sermon as well. So it makes people say, well, what was the original source? I went through this when I discovered Mark Driscoll's plagiarism. I would go into some of his books and I would find more and more and more and more and more plagiarism. And I would go back and I it was hard sometimes to find the original source because so many of these guys in the popular circles of ministry just lift each other's material. I got, you guys, you can't know how much this weighs on me, not just because of my journalistic background, but because as a Christian, I'm just grossed out by it. These people are just unbelievable to me in their deception, their pride. This is lying. This is stealing. This is pulling the wool over people's eyes. This is pride beyond belief because these people want to be seen as having done work they haven't done. And as I said at the time with the whole Driscoll scandal, In academia and in journalism, if you plagiarize, you're done. You're done. And that's the appropriate thing. Now, I want to get into two more cuts from this video that somebody compiled on YouTube. Thank the Lord for this person. I don't know who it is, but this is a wonderful side-by-side where you can hear J.D. Greer's sermon in January of 2019 on Romans 1, and you can hear Lytton lifting the material next to him after a year had gone by and he supposedly asked Greer for permission, but somehow forgot to mention it to his congregation. And there's horrible theology here, too. It's not just the fact that it's plagiarized. It's just horrible theology. Listen to this one. This is cut six. Throughout Jesus's ministry in his life, we see him demonstrating great, just incredible sympathy for those caught in sexual sin and great animosity toward the religiously proud. Jesus forgave prostitutes but he was harsh with religious materialist. In fact, Jesus one time, not one time ever said that it was difficult for the same sex attracted to go to heaven. He did say it was easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle, eye of a needle, than it was for a religiously proud or materialistically successful person to enter into the kingdom of God. Matter of fact, he said it would be easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for one of these. All right, I just want to refer you 
to the website of Dr. Robert Gagnon. I've interviewed him many times over the years. He has a great article on his website from January 7th, 2015. It's entitled, Is Homosexual Practice No Worse Than Any Other Sin? And he just obliterates these lame arguments that Greer and Littner are trying to make. And I want to read one small excerpt here. He says, I would submit that Jesus's special outreach to economic exploiters, meaning tax collectors and sexual sinners, all in an effort to recover them for the very kingdom of God that he proclaimed, was not so much a reaction to their abandonment by society as an indication of the special severity of these sins and the extreme spiritual danger faced by such perpetrators. In this connection, one thinks of the story of the sinful woman who washed Jesus's feet with her tears, wiped his feet with her hair, kissed them with her lips and anointed them with ointment in Luke 7. Jesus explained her extraordinary act by telling a parable of two debtors. The one whom the creditor forgave more would be the one who would love him more. And the clear inference here is that the sinful woman had done something worse in God's eyes. So again, these guys don't know what they're talking about. They're not interpreting the Bible correctly and it's easy to refute them, but it's just so bad. How do you wrap your head around it? Now, the last one I'm going to play for you really takes the cake. This is cut seven. Here's the third way that we go wrong. Number three, assuming it's hard for LGBTQ people to get to heaven. Thirdly, we go wrong thinking LGBT people can't go to heaven. Homosexuality does not send you to hell. You know how I know that? Because heterosexuality does not send you to heaven. Homosexuality does not send people to hell. How do I know that? Because heterosexuality doesn't send people to heaven. All right. Now, leave aside for a moment the, the matter of Scripture addressing sins that they that it go, then goes on to say people who engage in these sins will not inherit the kingdom of God. We go to hell because we are children of Adam by nature. We are born sinners. We have a sin nature. And so we are dead in our sins and trespasses. So it's really a ridiculous thing to try to insinuate that anybody is saying because you're a homosexual in particular, that's why you're going to hell. No, you're going to hell because you're a sinner who hasn't been saved by the offer of eternal life given to us through the finished work of Jesus Christ. You haven't trusted in Christ. Any sin can be forgiven. Any person who's been enmeshed in any kind of sin, no matter what it is, can turn from that sin and be saved and be washed and cleansed and renewed and inherit eternal life. That's the Christian message. That's the good news. Nobody is trying to single out homosexuals. I think what's going on here is they are trying to do what they can to make sure that the LGBT community knows that they're 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 cool. Like they're they're not one of those mean Christians, those terrible fundamentalists who are drooling at the pulpit and pounding it and being mean, mean, mean. That's what they're really doing. It's why you had J.D. Greer not too long ago talking about the fact that if you encounter a transgender individual, you should use pronouns that they prefer as a matter of hospitality. And of course, we debunk that thoroughly as any Christian would. Here's the interesting part, though, about that clip I just played for you. Somebody had pointed out that there was a reference in 2011 to that quote about homosexuality doesn't send people to hell because heterosexuality doesn't send people to heaven. That's just such a dumb quote because who says heterosexuality sends you to heaven? It's just the normal state of affairs. It's a Tim Keller quote. So 
<laughs> you can't make this up. So you have the immediate past president of the SBC plagiarizing Tim Keller, and then he, in turn, is plagiarized by Ed Litton. That's just fantastic. This is where we are, you guys. This is where we are. It reminds me of Senator Daniel Patrick Moynihan's famous essay, Defining Deviancy Down. Remember this from 1993? I pulled one of the sections here, and this is what he said. Now, Granted, the context of what he was discussing at the time was different than what I'm discussing, but it's the same sort of thing. He says, over the past generation, the amount of deviant behavior in American society has increased beyond the levels the community can afford to recognize. And accordingly, we have been redefining deviancy so as to exempt much conduct previously stigmatized and also quietly raising the normal level in categories where behavior is now abnormal by any earlier standard. Does that ring a bell when you're listening to what these men are saying? And when you were reading the comments of some of their fanboys and fangirls, oh, oh, Ed Litton, you have so much integrity. I mean, people were literally saying this to him after he put out this statement. And there were a couple of brave souls on Twitter who were saying, uh, you need to resign. You're a plagiarist. You need to resign, which is the correct response. But these people were actually praising him for his integrity because he got caught and apologized. No, no. If you're truly sorry, and he said he was, and he wants to be a man of integrity, then a man of integrity would resign, period. And I'm not just talking about resigning the presidency of the convention. I'm talking about resigning from the ministry, period. And Greer ought to as well, for myriad reasons, not the least of which is what we're discussing today. And maybe that sounds harsh, but I have not been caught into this web of defining deviancy down. I actually believe God's word when I was reading to you Jeremiah 2330. Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who steal my words from one another. You don't think lying and stealing are a problem for the Lord? Exodus 20, you shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Jesus replied when somebody asked which ones, he said, you must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You think God was just kind of wink, wink, nod, nod, unless it's a good sermon illustration, Pastor, then be sure to get up there and say whatever you want because you guys cut a deal behind the scenes. It's despicable, you guys. It's despicable what is going on here. It's as despicable as what Mark Driscoll did. And at the time when I was dealing with all of that, I had so many people coming to me. You're just really strident. I mean, come on. He said he was sorry. Well, he didn't say he was sorry. He put out a PR statement because he was getting a lot of flack. He never gave a full apology for that. And then all the other stuff came out over the, over the next year. All the other things that he had been doing. See, here's the thing. If you're willing to plagiarize, it makes me look at you and say, what else do you have going on that I need to know about? Because you exhibit so many bad character traits when you plagiarize the lying, the stealing, the pride, the deception. You know, what else are you doing? Seriously, if, if you would plagiarize a sermon, that's not the only thing you're probably doing that I need to know about. And I'm going to get into more on this when we return. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. Stay with us.
This is Janet Mefford for Bible League International, engaging the world with God's Word for more than 80 years. Believers in Africa are hungry to read their very own Bibles. Hear from Pastor Jeremiah in Zimbabwe. The church is growing very fast in the northern part of the country where Tsonga-speaking people and Zulu-speaking people and, uh, you know, we find that there's a movement of the Holy Spirit there where the hunger, or especially hunger, is very much visible. If you can imagine 10 Christians right now in many places in Africa. On average, nine have no access to the Bible. Here's Lillian in Mozambique. We went to this church just on the outskirts of Maputo. Uh, the church had about um, about 100 people and the, the only person actually who had a Bible was the pastor. But everybody else had never seen a Bible. And that gives us motivation to want to go more, to do more, to reach to as many people as we can, you know, where God gives us opportunity to go there and just take the word of God. Through Bible studies and resources that introduce people to Jesus Christ, Bible League is faithfully discipling new believers in Kenya, Ghana, Ethiopia, and many other African countries. Here's an evangelist named Joseph in South Africa. We were in a place called Mpumalanga. The lady there is about 60, 62 years or so. She literally cried. She knelt down and she cried. She never, at the age of 60, she never had a Bible. It is so much fulfilling just to see people like her rejoicing um, when they receive their Bibles. You can be the answer to a Bibleless believer praying for God's word through Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa. You can be the answer to a Bibleless believer praying for God's word through Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa. $5 sends one Bible, $50 sends 10, and your gift right now of any size will help us reach our goal to send 1500 Bibles to Africa. Call 800 yes word, 800 y e s w o r d, or there's a Bible League banner to click at janetmefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. What I find very interesting in all of this, to some extent, is the timing. We already have Ed Litton, the president of the SBC, having been caught in two, if not three, scandals so far to varying degrees. You had the heresy on his website that he stealthily took down or had somebody stealthily take down. And then I got this statement from his media relations guy that muddied the waters even more. And you had the issue of him allowing his wife to preach with him. And at the same time, he's claiming that he subscribes to the Baptist faith and message. So to me, that's a scandal. And then you have the plagiarism scandal, but he's very sorry. And I contend as a Christian and as somebody who takes plagiarism very seriously, that if you're really sorry, step down. You should not be the president of the SBC. You should not be in the ministry. Period. You know why? Because the Bible says that somebody in the ministry who is an elder, who is an overseer, as 1 Timothy 3 says, it is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach. And it says in verse 7, and he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into a reproach and the snare of the devil. In my opinion, both of these men need to step down from the ministry. You're not above reproach. You lift other people's material and you deceive people about it. You didn't quote Tim. And you know what? Here's the thing. I have, I have, I'm not going to get into a whole litany on this right now, but I've seen other famous pastors plagiarize. I've caught them. And you get to the point where you throw your hands up in the air and you say, either I'm crazy or I am experiencing the most disgusting, defining of deviancy or in our case, sin down that I've ever seen in my entire life. And it's because we're so corrupt and we're so far from the Lord and we care so little about holiness and we care so little about the fear of God that we just 
blow it off. Just blow it off. Who cares? You know, just wink, wink, nod, nod. Yeah, I stole some stuff from my buddy, but it was okay with him. You know, it doesn't matter if it was okay with J.D. Greer. If you didn't tell your audience that it was J.D. Greer's material, you plagiarized. You know, and you don't get to come back after the fact and say, but but J.D. said it was okay. Okay, so I'm supposed to trust you on that? I don't, by the way. Maybe it's true, but I don't trust you. Why would I? What reason do I have to trust you? I'm already dealing with some of these other things that you've said. How can Southern Baptists put up with this? And you know, it's really interesting. Providentially, on Sunday, I happened to hear a sermon online from Dr. Chuck Swindoll. Now, what's interesting about Chuck Swindoll is he's been around forever, Insight for Living Ministries, wonderful preacher, you know, well-regarded by millions and millions of Christians. He was preaching on Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And listen to what he said. This was yesterday that Chuck Swindoll had this to say. And think about how this applies to everything that I've just laid out for you. This is cut eight. Everything starts with who the preacher is. You, you don't want to listen very long to someone you don't trust. If you find out that the preacher is a deceiver, you're no longer going to that church, nor should you. The character of the one who does the preaching is vital to the preaching itself. He must be an individual that is marked by trustworthiness and integrity. And when he says it means this particular meaning this definition, he he shouldn't be twisting it to make it fit what he wants it to say. If he's trustworthy, he allows it to say what it says. I almost cried when I heard that. I really did. Because it's so biblical and so obvious. And yet anybody who holds to what you just heard Chuck Swindoll say right there looks like a dinosaur these days. Oh, you're just judging people. Oh, you're just being mean. In fact, if you look at the explanatory statement from J.D. Greer on this scandal, he says a culture of suspicion happens automatically. A culture of trust takes intentionality. Our convention desperately needs to build a culture of trust. And that starts with assuming the best about each other and giving the benefit of the doubt wherever we can. No, actually, J.D., that's not accurate. A culture of suspicion happens when you're deceived. And when you have a culture of trust, that's when somebody from the pulpit tells you something that is theologically true, that you can confirm by scripture and you can take the words of God and you can compare them as the Bereans did to the, with the apostles. And you can take what the preacher is saying, compare it against the Bible and say, yep, that's what the Bible teaches. That's how you build a culture of trust. And when you see the person being the same person up on the stage and or behind the pulpit as he is in person, he has integrity, he's trustworthy, he has good character, he is above reproach, he has a good reputation with people outside the church, that's what builds a culture of trust. And if you want the Southern Baptist Convention to build a culture of trust, then that doesn't start with assuming the best about J.D. Greer and Ed Litton. That starts with holding them accountable for doing what you would never put up with from a teacher at your kid's school or a next door neighbor or your own pastor in your own local church. Why are we giving these guys a pass? Because they're famous? Because they're powerful? You know, the Lord has a lot to say about that. And by the way, when you look at 2 Timothy 2.15, which says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That says at the beginning, study 
Study to show yourself approved unto God. Do your own work. If you're going to be preaching a sermon, you darn well better take the time to do your own work and do your own digging. You don't have to have eight people to compile other people's commentaries. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with going to commentaries. That's totally fine. But do your own work. Why can't you preach your own sermons and do your own work? I I don't want to hear from your team. Yeah, and we just accept this. Why? Because in too many instances, the church is a business, right? The church is a business. It's not the holy bride of Christ. We don't have to look at all these admonitions in scripture about what the Lord thinks of shepherds who have neglected their duties to the sheep. We're just going to gloss over those passages because we have to have a culture of trust. You see, we have to have a culture of trust. Proverbs 10, 9 says, whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. What have we had over the last several years, but the Lord finding people out and the Lord exposing people, famous people, people regarded as wonderful and holy and awesome by millions of Christians. We've had so many scandals. It's It, it just tears your soul apart after a while because it's so depressing. But it goes back to the importance of what I mentioned before with defining deviancy down. What we can't do as Christians is look at this stuff and say, if you're famous, you get a pass. That's what we have in politics. That's what we have with the Clintons, for example, or with James Comey or with, you know, Hillary's email server or with Biden or with Kamala Harris. Whatever these people do, they get away with it. Why? Because they're too big to prosecute. They're too powerful. They have too many people surrounding them who want their agenda to go forward. And if that is the same sort of thing that we're seeing in the church, then shame on us. Not shame on them merely, but shame on us for putting up with it. How many times do we have to go back to scripture and understand what the Lord thinks about all of this? I am a bit weary of plagiarism. I really am weary of it. I'm still recovering from what I went through in 2013, but it's not about me. It's about the fact that we're worse than we were back then. Because back then it was shocking. It was like, wow, a famous pastor plagiarized? Yeah, a famous pastor plagiarized. And then he bought his way into the New York Times bestseller list. And then a number of people underneath him were accusing him of being abusive, spiritually and, and emotionally abusive to his own staff. And we had scandal after scandal after scandal after scandal. And there were still people who stuck with him. He, he even after he resigned from Mars Hill Church in Seattle, he went out and started another church. And guess what? Now there's a whole new round of scandals from people who were too gullible to look at everything that was in front of them, all the evidence that was in front of them as to the character of this guy that he has no business being in the ministry, and they just went ahead and trusted him. At some point, we're to blame. We're to blame for putting up with it. We're to blame for not holding our shepherds to the same standards we would hold any other Christian to. And we're to blame for not reading these passages that are clear as day in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1 on the qualifications of an elder pastor. They're not very confusing. They're very clear, actually, if you read these passages. And we have to do something about this. And I am saying, as I've said over the course of this last hour, that I think the appropriate course of action is for Lytton to step down as president. And I think they both should get out of the ministry because they're not above reproach. And I think this plagiarism thing is indicative of bad character. Bye. We'll, we'll somehow manage without you. Do I think it's going to happen? No. Nope. I don't think it's going to happen. And I think especially when you have all the woke in the SBC having thrown their support behind Lytton because he's a great guy, I think they're going to continue that narrative. And I think they're going to play the forgiveness. Oh, we must forgive. Of course, we must forgive if somebody repents. 
but you don't keep them in the ministry if they're not above reproach because the Bible says so. But I suppose in their minds, if you say the Bible says so, that turns you into another small-minded, drooling fundamentalist. It's a terrible thing to believe what the Bible says because we have an agenda. We're in deep, deep, deep trouble. And we really need to repent as a church. It's really a disgrace. Thank you for being with us. We've got to leave it there. Help us send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through our work with Bible League International. The number to call 800-YES-WORD, 800-Y-E-S-W-O-R-D. It only costs $5 to send one Bible. If you could help out, we would really appreciate it. Again, the number to call, 800-Y-E-S-W-O-R-D. God bless you. We'll see you next time.